0: This is CannaEd. Have you taken the green pill? Hello, hello, everyone. It's me, your favorite nurse, Erica of CanaEd, where we help guide patients like you on their medical cannabis journeys. Remember, folks, all cannabis use is medicinal. Why? Because your body has a whole ass endocannabinoid system. And if your brain just went to uh who cannab what <laughs> then make sure to subscribe because we got you. In one of our upcoming episodes, we have a phenomenal guest speaker that is going to break it all the way down for you. And when I say it, I mean the endocannabinoid system. We're really going to help you to understand what is the endocannabinoid system and how this system can help you. Because guess what, endo—like you have this system in your body, it's a whole ass system, just like your musculoskeletal, your neurological, your respiratory system, you got an endocannabinoid system, okay? Okay. <laughs> and once you really understand the endocannabinoid system and how it works and how cannabis um, can help alleviate symptoms through your endocannabinoid system, You can make an informed decision as a patient about implementing cannabis medicine into your individual treatment plan. However, on today's episode, as you may have seen, we will be wrapping up the History of the Plant series with our sixth and final episode of the series. Not the final episode of Canna Ed. Don't worry. I do not want to give you a heart attack. We will be back next Saturday. Next and every Saturday, I should say. And again, I I felt that it was very important to tackle the history of the gaunja leading up to the laws that surround the plant today. Because with anything, you need to understand and know the foundation. And understanding the history will help you to really just gain a better understanding, like I mentioned, of the industry, not just the plant, but the industry and the ecosystem that our favorite herb has to live in today. <laughs> it's not all bad, but it varies from state to state. <laughs> and, you know, you have companies out here making a bu- 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 billions of dollars legit, slanging the tweeds in dispensaries, like whole ass operations vertically integrated operations and if you don't know about that one don't worry we got you we're going to talk about that as well in our upcoming episodes i should say but um this is literally like this whole the the cultivation of this industry has been in the making for years and after we dive into today's episode um where we talk about the history of the Compassionate Use Act of 1996 leading up to the, the roaring 20s, the roaring 2020s, right, of today, we really want to hear from you on the future, on really the future that you envision for the plant, um, the future that you foresee happening for the plant, and the future that you wish would happen for the plant. You know, what I think think that the roaring 20s, the roaring 20s, the roaring 2020s will look like for cannabis and what I would like it to look like. These are two different things. Um, yeah. So after we dive into this episode, you'll be able to really formulate that, that thought. And uh, on our last episode on part five of the history of the plant, We really left off in the 90s, so I'm just going to pop back there so I can drop a few nugs of knowledge for you. Okay, so when I drop these nugs, please pick them up. Don't light them on fire just yet, but conserve them. (laughs) Conserve them in that brain. Now, I had mentioned the Compassionate Use Act of 1996, but I wanted to ask, have you personally ever heard of this? This piece of legislation... It's also known as Proposition 215. Okay, I'm going to give you a few seconds. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> no. Uh, well, that's okay. Even if you haven't heard of it, it's fine. That's what you're here for. You're here to get your Cana ed your dose of Cana ed and we got you. Now, I do want to say that for the rest of the episode when referring to the Compassionate Use Act of 1996, We are just going to call it Prop 215. Why? Because that has less syllables and I really don't know how many syllables I will be afforded in my lifetime. So we're just going to try to conserve them. (laughs) All right. Now, Prop 215, this right here, this right here, y'all, this was the legislation that had permitted medicinal use of cannabis in the state of California back in the 90s. Prop 215 was authored by medical cannabis activists such as Dennis Perone, psychologists that were speaking in the can- that were specializing, I'm sorry, not just speaking. They were speaking and they specialized in cannabis medicine. You had the LA Cannabis Resource Center, a number of attorneys, of course, and my favorite a registered nurse. Now, you know I got to give her her props, mad props for propositioning and partaking, I should say, partaking in Prop 215, okay? Her name is Miss Anna Boyce. So just a little side note, uh, as I had mentioned, a registered nurse, not just a registered nurse, Miss Anna Boyce helped to make history by providing her knowledge her expertise and her perspective while authoring this piece of legislation that ultimately helped to change laws not just in california but subsequently around the nation that's deep (laughs) now i'm a nurse by trade right as some of you may have picked up i don't know if you were listening I am your favorite nurse Erica of Canada and I truly would have never imagined five years ago that I would be sitting in some of the seats that I currently do or that I would have the ability to serve in such a capacity that I do for my patients today so the point of you know this side note is not to brag or this and that it's to really show you and help you to understand That it is possible it it really is you know I want you to look at the skill sets that you currently have these could be something that you enjoy doing but something that you really do well you know like a hobby that, that you're just fire at you know something that would serve a purpose to provide value in the industry whether that's providing value to a company or an organization or providing value to your patients or this could be something providing value to you, self-serving, to build a business in the industry. You know, like I said, I just want you to look at your current profession. I want you to look at your current skill sets and really think about what it is that you want to do, your future in the industry, and reverse engineer and make it happen. I'm getting a little deep now, but let's get back. Oh, my fellow youngbloods, though those of you that are very well versed in the plants and are looking to get involved in the industry, now is really your time to shine because you not only have the knowledge and expertise, but you have a unique perspective that the, the companies and organizations don't have, but they know that they need to market in the industry. So if, if any of this sounds like you or something that you'd be interested in, or, or just something that you've pondered on, like how, how do I get in the industry? What do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? I want you to reach out to us. You know, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You can find us online. Uh, you can shoot us an email, info at cannaed.net. Again, that's info at cannaed.net. Or you could just leave a comment on this episode and we can help point you in the right direction. Because I feel that, you know, a lot of people have looked out for me and really helped to guide me in the industry and put me in touch with the right people that I needed to get in touch with. And I want, you know, they essentially people have been a blessing to me and I want to be a blessing to others. So reach out to us. Side note, over. we have really given Miss Anna Boyce, uh, comma, R-N, okay, her props. But another name that I had mentioned was Mr. Dennis Perrone. And we've actually linked a video of him in the show notes where he talks about in depth really why he fought so hard for this bill. It's not super long. It's like five to six minutes. But it's definitely worth it to listen because it's it's a beautifully sad story but very beautiful at heart during the nineties and the eighties, uh, the AIDS, the AIDS epidemic, or was it a pandemic? I mean, it was kind of global, but we're just going to go with epidemic. This epidemic was tearing this country apart, but particularly, um, affecting the LGBTQ community. And Dennis He was a true activist. Dennis, um, at the time, of course, you know, you have racism, sexism, and homophobia at a dangerous high. However, through it all, Dennis, Amy, and every other activist who put their life on the line for this bill persisted and won. So as I mentioned, you know, the 80s and the 90s, you have a lot of people being diagnosed with HIV AIDS, many cancers at this time, and there was little to no research and not many concrete treatments at the time. The treatment plan was really based on symptom management. So um, that was what was essential at the time. And many people found refuge to treat these symptoms in the plant. So legally, they could do this in the state of California. But what about the rest of the country? (laughs) Now, towards the end of the 90s, Big Pharma (laughs) came on the scene, right? And uh, in 1996, Purdue Pharma saw that, you know, we have a nation of people with all of these symptoms that need managing. We got some for you. They introduced the nation to OxyContin. Woo, chow. Yeah, this knocked those symptoms out all right. <laughs> you know, pain, we got you. We got you. But um, that OxyContin, as we know today, came with very negative and long-lasting side effects. For the consumer, because oh no for purdue pharma they were rolling in it in 1996 when they introduced um, oxycontin to the nation from 96 to 2000 sales grew from 48 million dollars in 96 to almost 1.1 billion dollars in 2000 from the sale of oxycontin yeah But by 2001, nobody really knew what the future held. And, you know, nobody had that crystal ball to understand what the addiction and just what the next two decades had in store. And um, by 2001, OxyContin was the number one prescribed opiate in the market. (laughs) Yes. Now, as we know, during the 2000s, the united states received that symptom management but also became very addicted to pills to treat these symptoms symptoms that we now know cannabis medicine can also help to treat Mm. so while people are are getting addicted to the opiates and you know some are going to rehab some are going to jail you know mm. Um, Many folks are still going to jail for cannabis-related crimes, okay? Receiving heavy, heavy sentences because, yes, California understood, and they got it. They understood the benefits of um, cannabis medicine, but the rest of the country, not so much. So we dive deep into the opioid epidemic and some of the facts behind that in a few of our previous episodes of the series. We're not going to get into that right now, because I would be here forever. <laughs> now, all throughout the 2000s, you have medicinal legalization, state after state. You know, the first being California in 1996, but then Oregon, Alaska, Washington, These were also some of the first to drop medical cannabis laws. Hashtag, West Coast is the best coast. I stand behind that statement, baby. (laughs) Now, after um, we all lived through Y2K, right? (laughs) Then you have um, Maine, Hawaii, Nevada, Colorado. These states decided to pass laws and implement programs in their states for medicinal cannabis use. So during the time, the programs they weren't perfect but they were designed and centered around the patient and providing them true access to the plant for symptom management mind you laws are different in each state so this was yes a victory but there was more work to be done but then but wait but wait there's more but then in 2012 Colorado and Washington State, man, they did the damn thing. Mm. And they legalized the recreational use of cannabis in their states. 2012, my friends. And uh, I really want to focus on some numbers out of Colorado. Because, again, I want you to, to understand the facts, the numbers, and make informed decisions. Yes, yes. Well, not just informed decisions, informed opinions as well. Educated opinions. So yes, the law was signed in 2012. However, um, it wasn't the the program, not really the program, but the the recreational use of cannabis was not enacted until 2014. And in 2012, Colorado's, I'm sorry, not 2012, in 2014, Colorado's legal market included recreational and medicinal um, medicinal use. It reached a total sales of $700 million. You know, this data right here, $700 million, this data right here, this data right here. That is what created a ripple effect around this country. So 2012, Colorado, legalization, great. 2014, Utah, out of nowhere, Utah, became the very first state to pass a low-THC, high-CBD medical cannabis law, which allowed um, low-THC oils to be utilized for symptom management of multiple disorders. Here comes the CBD market. Here comes the CBD market. <laughs> but legit, like for real. Um, don't worry, we're gonna dive into plenty about CBD coming your way in our upcoming episodes. But yeah, so uh Utah. Utah, out of nowhere, <laughs> Utah passed their laws for low THC, high CBD. Um, content oils in 2014 subsequently more states started implementing either decriminalization laws medicinal laws or outright passing recreational use laws basically building the blocks for that ecosystem of the plant that we have today cannabis is a herb and really should have never been criminalized in the first place. Now, 2020, what is what? Do, what do we have going on in 2020? We have 33 states in the union, along with four out of the five U.S. territories and, and the District of Columbia that have passed legislation and provide some form of a medical cannabis program To their state's constituents now remember each state is different these programs vary by state but it's something we also have 11 states that have just straight up passed recreational use laws Guam and the Northern Marina Islands have also legalized recreational or adult use and we also have um, 16 states along with the US Virgin Islands hey (laughs) that have decriminalized the plant so i want to know what what do you feel that the future holds for the plant what would you like the future to hold for the plant the roaring 20s the roaring 2020s what do you see for this decade of cannabis medicine of cannabis cultivation of legalization ooh, oh i really want to hear about that i mean we have our um presidential election coming up some big heavy things like what do you feel is the future what does the future hold for the plant let us know your thoughts make sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode of CannaEd, where we will be releasing weekly to bi-weekly episodes. This pot pod is just as much about you as it is us, and we want to hear from you. So we encourage comments, questions, stories, and feedback. So please, show us some love in the comments, subscribe or follow, and tell someone that you feel would benefit from a dose of CanaEd. We'll talk Mm -hmm. soon, my friend.